Welcome back. This is Perspectives, the show where a conversation about our many differences seeks to show us how much we have in common. I'm Condes Presley. Tomorrow, Monday, closing arguments are set in the Derek Chauvin trial. He's the former Minneapolis police officer who was charged with killing George Floyd last year. Joining me now is former Georgia Supreme Court Chief Justice Leah Ward Sears. Sears currently is a partner in the business litigation and appellate practice at Smith Gambrell and Russell. Before going back to private practice, she enjoyed 17 years of distinguished service on the Georgia Supreme Court, including four years as Chief Justice. She is a woman of many firsts. She was the first to serve on the Supreme Court, the first to serve as a Superior Court Judge in Fulton County, and the first woman elected statewide in Georgia. Justice Sears joins us because she's gonna be honored this week with a Lifetime Achievement Award from ADL Southeast, an organization that is fighting hate for good. The Anti-Defamation League formed more than 100 years ago to fight bigotry and anti-Semitism, and that work continues today for all people. Justice Sears, congratulations and thanks for being with us. Thank you so much. Thanks for reaching out to me, giving me this opportunity to talk with you and, and others today. I appreciate it. What does this honor mean to you? Oh, it means so much to, you know, I have tried my best to devote so much of my career to uh, helping erase uh, hate, particularly race-based hate and hate based on religion or gender, uh, you know, national origin, sexual preference, matters to me quite a bit uh, to be honored by an organization that whose sole job, sole duty is to do that. So I'm, I'm, I owe a lot to the Anti-Defamation League. Thank you to the Anti-Defamation League for this honor. The organization is recognizing you, Justice Sears, for your work on equal justice and fair treatment for all, yet if you read the newspapers, watch the television news, and know anything about Georgia's new election law, some argue that it is not fair for all people. I know as a jurist, you like to read the laws and the decisions first, but do you have any reaction to what has happened? Right. Uh, yes, as a former jurist, I do like to read first, and I haven't had a chance to read and study the law. I just want to say that uh, up front. But I am disappointed. I understand that the, it's my belief that the law was uh, passed to suppress vote, particularly minorities, particularly African-Americans of which 32% make up this, this great state. And that is disappointing, but uh, I will read it and come to a fuller conclusion later. But uh, again, the idea in a democracy like ours needs to be to expand the number of, of adults who are voting, not to shrink it and provide barriers or, uh, so that people can't can exercise their right. It's, it's, their, it's the right guaranteed by not only the Georgia Constitution, but the United States Constitution. We are now more than a year into the global pandemic of COVID. It seems as we are beginning to emerge out of it. And yet in this last year, there has been an incredible increase in the number of hate 
crimes directed at uh, our Asian American and Pacific Islander communities. I can only assume that that disappoints you greatly. Yes, it does. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Asian Americans, Asians have always been discriminated against in this country. And, uh, you know, it's something we, we, you know, we need to come, this country needs to come to a reckoning. And I think we are slowly but surely two steps forward, three or four steps back that, uh, you know, race is, a is not a definer of anybody, uh, whether you're black or uh, Asian or uh, Latinx or what have you. And, uh, uh, you know, this was, uh, Asian discrimination, Asian hate has always been a, a feature of this country, at least in, in, as Asians began to come to this country. And uh, we need to do something about it. It was exacerbated in the last two or three years. It was exacerbated by uh, the words used by the prior administration. But uh, I'm, I'm glad to see things are calming down and we're gonna have to tackle that problem too. Do you really think that things are calming down? I'm, I'm curious as to what was your reaction to the events that we saw at the US Capitol on January 6th? I mean, I was, uh, to me, I mean, that last year was a bad year for me and I think most of us. It just got worse and worse and worse with the politics on top of the racial reckoning that this country is going through, the murder of George, George Floyd, all the, the nasty rhetoric and all that. So it was a bad year. Uh, this year, uh, while it's not perfect it, by any stretch of the imagination, it does seem as if things are beginning to calm down and that at least maybe, maybe we'll be able to talk across party and, and policy lines with some sort of civility uh, that's the only way this democracy is ever going to work. We don't have to agree with each other, but we have to agree that we can we can manage this country civilly and not without some kind of civil war all the time, warmed over or new. Are you watching or paying attention to the Derek Chauvin trial in Minneapolis? Well, I watch a few pieces, a few segments of it, but quite frankly, Candidates, it's just too depressing to sit up there and watch too much of it. I just can't. I mean, even during the time last summer when the videotape kept running and running, all it would do is, is uh, make me more upset. So I, I turned it off. I follow it, I, but I mostly follow it a little bit on, uh, you know, in, uh, in your kind of media. And then I, I read. I read the papers every day. Any concerns as to what might happen in our country, depending upon, you know, the, the jury's verdict once that comes, maybe a month from now? I do. I, I you know, I'm not going to predict. I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, I am nervous about what the reaction is going to be, notwithstanding what the verdict might be. You know, I've lived in the in the United States of America now. Well, June 13th will be 66 years, 65 right now. And uh, I've seen these things happen before. And uh, yeah, it does concern me. 
But you've talked about this reckoning, this racial reckoning that we appear to be going through right now. And it seems to be more of what this country experienced in the 60s as opposed to any other time in our nation's history. Are you optimistic that there will be eventually some positive change? I am. You know, it is somewhat like we're going through in the 60s during the civil rights movement. But the, you know, the real interesting thing is there are now more uh, whites joining the marches, joining the bandwagons. I've been asked by so many uh, people who are not African-Americans, who are not minorities, to please help me understand, which just would, wasn't happening. I mean, I wasn't a, was, I wasn't a toddler, but I really wasn't active in the 60s because I was a, not even a teenager, like a te preteen for the most part. Uh, but this time, uh, you know, there has been a buildup of this pain because although we made a lot of strides during the civil rights movement, I don't think a lot of, of white people really understand what the burden is of being a, a, an African-American in this country and how people like me and you have to get through that every single day. And it's not just a, a complaint because you get tired of complaining. I mean, it's a real deal thing. And I've just noticed uh, more and more of my friends asking me or asking for help to really understand that because while they're good people and they are uh, were very sympathetic, uh, they were never able to be very empathetic. You know, didn't really, they didn't really understand what the real deal was and how you know, I, I and you probably, the, the slides were coming, you know, two, three times a day. You'd come home exhausted from just the racial stuff that nobody knew or nobody would acknowledge were little racial microaggressions. Justice Sears, you've accomplished so much. You've recorded so many firsts. What goals are you still working to achieve? I know you're, you're about to the point where you can, you know, kick up your heels and, and just enjoy being you, but uh, you sound as if that you are, you sound as if you are very passionate about your work and still have things on your to-do list. I, I do. I am, you know, I'm, I'm not going to kick up my feet. I'm going to get out of this world kicking and screaming. My idea is I really want the world in terms of race, gender, and all of that, which were the impediments to me when I was born in 1955. I mean, women were nothing. I really shocked my parents when I went to law school and I mean, Chief Justice of a, of a red state uh, was a shock to not only them, but to many, many people, uh, but a point of pride as well. So. No, I don't want to, I don't, I don't intend to stop until uh, my country becomes what the ideals and ideas really are supposed to be, where we actually become the United States of America, the, the founders envisioned for us, and we're not there yet. I pray like you that we are on our way. Congratulations again Thanks. on the honor from the Anti-Defamation League. Uh, Justice Leah Ward-Sears, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Here's a fun fact. 
Reading with a student just 20 minutes a day enhances vocabulary, increases creativity, and improves graduation rates. KISS 104.1 is proud to partner with the Atlanta Public Schools and the Urban League of Greater Atlanta on Race to Read, an initiative with the goal of logging 10 million minutes of leisure reading by the end of this school year. If you build a city that reads, you erase a critical literacy gap. Nancy Flake Johnson is here. She's the president and CEO of the Urban League of Greater Atlanta. So Urban League um, has become an advocate for education equity uh, starting uh, or at least a decade ago. And um, one of the, the priorities that we decided to focus on is third grade reading levels. And so naturally we started mapping uh, scores across the metropolitan area. Uh, Atlanta Public Schools is already a current deep partner of ours. And so it was a natural fit for us to join forces with their Race to Read uh, to help amplify the fact that leisure reading can just 20 minutes a day make all the difference in a child's future trajectory as it relates to academic success and being uh, economically uh, secure for the rest of their lives. When did educational equity become a priority for the Urban League? It, it came about really um, in the midst of uh, the reform era, the education reform era about a decade ago, when um, really it was under the Bush administration uh, you may recall, they made some sweeping uh, changes to try to uh, bring some uh, uniformity, if you will, across school systems to be able to better measure. It was called No Child Left Behind, uh, you may recall. Uh, sadly, though, there were you know, lots of inequities that were uncovered in that campaign, and so many children got left behind and African-American children, children of color, low-income students, students um, uh, with special needs, English language learners, all of those specialized groups were lagging behind other students and our students in particular lagging behind at the greatest rate. Um, we know just historically, reading has always been uh, an anchor for the lifting of Black people in this country from the time when our ancestors were slaves and they had to hide in ditches to teach each other to read. And so fast forward, we know our kids are smart and resilient, yet um, the scores are what they are. At Atlanta Public Schools, just over a third of our third graders read at grade level. And we also know that third grade reading scores are often used as a basis for projecting uh, building prisons uh, for our people and people in general. But of course, we know there's a disproportionate number of African-Americans that are incarcerated. So getting kids there by third grade is a critical, critical step. And uh, Race to Read is just one of the many ways that we'll be working to bring this issue to the attention of the broader public and to get everyone engaged in advocating for literacy. If just over a third are reading at third grade level now, 
how significant is the impact because of virtual learning in the last year because of the pandemic? We know that the pandemic is going to set us further behind. There is a recent study that has already compared reading levels of children from uh, fall of 2020 to fall of 2019. And there's definitely been a decrease for black and brown children. So we know uh, the digital divide is contributing to that setback. Um, and so really the, the cover is off. Um, we have a very serious uh, education equity issue and we're just uh, really working hard through Race to Read to make a difference in this space. So what is the goal and the objective? What are we trying to do between now and the end of the school year? Between now and the end of the school year, we are advocating to achieve 10 million minutes of leisure reading. And that means, and what we're doing is we're, we're doing a, a really a regional campaign, but our mantra is our goal with Race to Read is to build a city that reads so that Atlanta can be a city that leads. And so with the campaign, it's very simple. Uh, we have a portal, a Beanstack portal that I know you'll share with your viewers where you can simply register on uh, the website, either uh, under one of our community partners like Urban League or as an individual and track your leisure reading minutes. Of course, our ultimate goal is to have people reading with school-aged children, but reading personally also takes us forward in this space. So, um, so 10 million minutes, we're at about 7.5 million minutes now. Yes, so really our goal now is to exceed 10 million minutes. We've got summer coming. We want our children reading throughout the summer so they'll come back to school in the fall um, better prepared. And uh, it's exciting. Companies are donating books. Parents are getting involved. Uh, family members, companies. Uh, it's been really a, a fun. Uh, the city of Atlanta is one of our big partners along with Mayor Bottoms. And it's just been great to work more closely weekly with Atlanta Public Schools leadership, including Dr. Uh, Lisa Herring, of course, she's not on all the calls, but her team is just amazing. And they are so passionate and, and committed to moving the needle for our kids. What does the Urban League get out of being a part of this initiative? Well, Urban League's whole goal is uh, the advancement of African-Americans. And that's always included education, workforce development, small business, uh, home ownership, civic and community engagement, and youth and young adults. Those are our platforms. So anything that supports our young people to succeed in life, we wanna be a part of. And the thing is, if you're upset by the 36% of third graders, by fourth grade, just 16% of African-American students are reading at fourth grade level. And that's critical because up to third grade, you're reading to learn, you're learning to read. Starting fourth grade, you're reading to learn. And so kids can get left behind. Uh, so we wanna stop this in its track. We know our kids um, uh, are more than capable of excelling academically. 
Uh, we've proven that and we just need to support them and their parents uh, to be able to have the tools and uh, the resources so that we can push that needle forward. It, it, we cannot expect Atlanta public schools to do this alone. So are you saying the parents are engaged? Because as, I, as I've talked about race to read uh, out and about in the community and you share the numbers, the, the number one question I get is, where are the parents? Well, the parents are involved. Uh, parents are critical. Uh, all of the Atlanta public schools um, engage parents and students in the reading activities that they conduct. Um, many of our parents, you know, Atlanta Public Schools is huge on adult education. There are parents, you know, we have 800,000 adults in the metropolitan area that are functionally illiterate. So one of the other extensions to Race to Read is to expand our partnership with Atlanta Public Schools and supporting more APS parents through the Urban League programs. Uh, we offer uh, through our partnerships with Atlanta Public Schools, GED, and um, high school diplomas. We offer access to high demand career uh, credentialing through our partnership with Atlanta Tech and others. And our whole goal is for the entire household to read, ultimately. Nancy, anything else you want to add? Anything that I didn't think to ask you? No, I would just say to your listeners, uh, be a part of this. Uh, everyone has a responsibility to our kids and to our students and our children. And so whether you're a corporation that has employee resource groups that want to get involved, to uh, churches that want to start uh, reading groups, to um, just individuals out there who want to be a part of a solution that is so critical for our future, I'd say just sign up for Race to Read and um, join us. We wanna have you as part of our team. And last thing, and I, I should have asked earlier, what happens when we get to the 10 million minutes or we exceed those 10 million minutes? Well, one of the things we just talked about uh, this week is that our goal now is to exceed the 10 million minutes. Uh, last year, we didn't make it. You know, the, the pandemic did have an impact. Um, so we left the goal at 10 million. But we know we need to get that, which should be 100 million minutes, right, to really move the needle. So we're, we're going to use this as an opportunity to push hard, to see what we can achieve. And then we're going to increase it to a stretch goal that we can keep moving that needle forward. So, um, you know, uh, it's just an, an opportunity for us to keep pushing forward. So we're not going to let the pedal up from the metal when we hit 10 million. We're going to keep pushing through. Our kids um, have an opportunity this summer to possibly get some catch up in before schools open in the fall. And that's our goal. Nancy Flake Johnson, CEO of the Urban League of Greater Atlanta. We appreciate you and thank you for your time. Thank you for your partnership. And I'll close today on a personal note, actually an appeal to all you prayer warriors out there listening. My friend and my colleague, Jovita Moore, is recovering from brain surgery last Friday and will be recovering for the next eight to 10 weeks. She's welcoming your prayers for a complete healing and recovery. You can wish her well on the WSB-TV website. That's WSBTV.com. It's easy to find right there on the homepage. 
I can tell you we're saving all of your messages for her to read later. I hope you will join me in wishing her well and cheering her on to a complete recovery because Atlanta is Jovita Strong. Perspectives is a community and public affairs program crafted with you in mind. If there's a guest you'd like to hear interviewed or a perspective you think should be explored, let me know. If you're old school, just write me. 1601 West Peachtree Street, Northeast, Atlanta, Georgia, 30309. Or message me via social media. I'm Condos Presley on Facebook, Condo29 on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening. Be sure to listen again next week at this very same time as we examine another perspective. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.